morning. My name is Barrett, and uh, my family and I just love being part of the church family here at Parkview. When Ray and Steve asked me if I would teach as part of this series, I got to thinking this is the second time that they've asked me to teach, so I thought maybe I should invest in the uniform for a... I actually thought about shaving my head, but I thought that might be just a little too much. I don't think my head's shaped as nice as Ray's is. Anyway, it's a pleasure for me to have this opportunity to spend a little time with you considering together the habits of our lives as followers of Jesus Christ. In my work life, I teach at Wheaton College, and I'm also a counselor. I'm part of a group of counselors and doctors called Alliance Clinical Associates, and there's actually quite a few of us that are part of the church family here. Basically, what that means is... I get the privilege to sit with people who are struggling and in pain and listen to the stories that they share and hopefully try to be helpful. It's an amazing privilege to have someone share their stories of pain and struggle with you. I want to tell you about one of those stories. It's about 10 years ago. I got a call from a young man who said that he was struggling and was looking for a counselor and wondered if I could meet with him. He said he was going through a hard time and really wanted to see if I could meet with him very soon. So we set up a time to meet within the next couple of days. When I met Tim, when he came into the office, I couldn't help but notice how down he looked, the heaviness that surrounded him. He was a young man, he's about 25 years old, seemingly gentle and kind, but obviously burdened and weighed down. He seemed nervous but he seemed determined to say whatever it was that he had come to say to me. Now, an important part of a counseling relationship is the safety that a person feels when they share their story. So I needed to explain to Tim, as I do to everyone, exactly what are the kinds of things that I can keep secret and what kind of things can I not keep secret. It's what we refer to as confidentiality. And so Tim and I talked about that, and I explained it to him, and he listened and seemed to understand, and then we began to talk about why he had come to see me. As he began his story... He said these words. He said, there are some things that I have just needed to tell someone, and I haven't known how to do that. As Tim talked, he paused a lot and sighed and rubbed his head. He said, I've just never told anyone, and I don't know what to do. He paused for a few moments, and I could tell he was thinking deeply about the next thing that he was going to say. I said, it's okay, Tim. Just take your time. After a long pause, Tim looked at me, and he said... Before I go on, could you tell me again what confidentiality really means? Could you explain to me exactly what are the kinds of things that you can keep secret and what kinds of things you might have to report? And I said, sure. And I explained to him in detail what those things were. And when I finished, he hung his head. And he said, I'm sorry, I don't think I can talk to you. I asked what changed his mind, but I could tell that he felt that there might be things that he needed to share with me that I might have to report. He said, I'm sorry I've wasted your time, but I think I need to go. I wished I could have done something to help. I said, okay, and I walked him to the door, and my heart just sank as I watched him walk out. It just looked so sad. His head was hanging, and you could tell the weight of something tremendous was weighing down on him that he just didn't feel free to share. He needed to unburden himself, but he just couldn't. I wish I could say that he came back, but he didn't. And I called him several times, but he never returned my calls. I don't know what weighed down so heavily on him that day. But I do know that he needed to share it with someone. He obviously so wanted to tell someone, but was so afraid that he couldn't bear the consequences. 
Have there been times in your life like that? Times when there are things that you have held on to that you so wanted to share with someone but just didn't know if you could. Perhaps you're carrying burdens like that now. Thoughts that perhaps go on and on in your mind that you just can't let go. Things that you've done that you wish you haven't done. Maybe a careless word that you've said to someone that you wish you could take back. Things you haven't done that you feel like you should have done. Or any of the other many things that we carry as burdens that weigh us down. I'd like you to to ask you to just take a moment right now and close your eyes. Would you do that? Would you for just a moment think about just one burden like that that you've carried? Remember what it felt like or what it feels like right now to carry that burden. Okay, you can open your eyes. For that young man, Tim, I don't know what it was that he was carrying, what it was that he so needed to share, but it pressed down on him as though it were pulling him under the surface. He seemed to be sinking under its weight. We're in a series, as Ray mentioned, on habits, habits of the Christian life, habits that help us to live life more fully. We've defined those as activities we choose to engage in that repeatedly bring us back to God and facilitate spiritual growth and spiritual health. This morning, we're going to talk about the habit of confession. So would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we each carry burdens that weigh down on us. Even now, as we each have thought of a burden that we carry, we ask for your help. Teach us what we might do with the sins and struggles that we hold on to. Help us to know what we might do with them that honors you and frees us to be more like you. Amen. Richard Foster wrote a book that's become a classic now, Celebration of Discipline. And in that book, he writes these words. Confession is a difficult discipline for us because we all too often view the believing community as a fellowship of saints before we see it as a fellowship of sinners. Therefore, we hide ourselves from each other. How do you see us? How do we see each other? Are we a fellowship of saints or are we a fellowship of sinners? Foster goes on and he says, but if we know that the people of God are first a fellowship of sinners... We are freed to hear the unconditional call of God's love and to confess our needs openly before our brothers and sisters. We know we are not alone in our sin. The fear and pride that cling to us like barnacles cling to others also. We are sinners together. In acts of mutual confession, we release the power that heals. Our humanity is no longer denied, but it is transformed. If you saw my title for this morning in the bulletin, you may have wondered to yourself, what in the world do barnacles have to do with habits of the Christian life. Well, I got this title from this idea of Foster that the unconfessed stuff that we carry weighs us down like barnacles. Now, I have to confess, I'm not a sailor, and I don't know much about barnacles. As a matter of fact, the only time I really hear the words is when I watch SpongeBob with my kids. <laughs> so while I was preparing for this morning, I watched a number of YouTube videos on removing barnacles. You have to take a look at some of those. It's really amazing. Uh, barnacles apparently are a huge problem for boats. They cling to the bottom of them and weigh them down, making it difficult for them to move. They can clog propellers and rudders uh, and make it almost impossible for a boat to move forward. So I was struck by Foster's comparison of the weight of sin and fear to what barnacles do. And he says that it is confession that releases the power that heals. Confession. You know, sometimes I think we as believers tend to view confession like this. We may see it as an outdated religious ritual, but that's not a fair depiction of what the scriptures teach us about confession. The habit of confession is a gift of God to help us draw closer to him and to know his limitless grace. In the Old Testament, we read about the people of Israel when they were defeated by Babylon and they were taken into captivity by King Nebuchadnezzar. 
know if you remember this, the, toward the end of the Old Testament. As they're taken into captivity, where they're kept, there's a few that are a remnant left back in Jerusalem, but almost everybody else was taken to captivity. There's wonderful stories that happen in captivity. The stories of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they remain in captivity in Babylon for about 50 years until actually the king of Persia conquers Babylon. And the king of Persia is going to allow the Israelites to return and to rebuild Jerusalem. And we read about this story in the book of Nehemiah. In the first chapter, Nehemiah writes how he received word about what Jerusalem looked like and about the suffering of the remnant that had been left behind. He writes these words. When I heard these things, I sat down and I wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. And then I said, Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love, with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you, day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. Then he says these words, I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly toward you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. Nehemiah's first response when he hears about the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple, is to admit his need and the need of all of Israel for the forgiveness of God and to ask for that forgiveness. In this, we see the first step of confession, to admit our need for forgiveness. In Proverbs 28, we read, Whoever conceals their sins does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. Confession is about receiving the forgiveness of God. But first, we must admit to ourselves before God our need for his forgiveness. In the Old Testament, forgiveness was received through the action of the high priest who went into the temple and offered sacrifices for people's sins. But in the book of Hebrews, we are told that Jesus is now our high priest and that he intercedes for us. The author of Hebrews writes these words, Unlike the other high priest, Jesus does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. And he goes on later to say, Therefore, brothers and sisters... Since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. The blood of Jesus has made it possible for each one of us to enter into the very throne room of Almighty God and seek his forgiveness. Because of this, Christians throughout the centuries have found ways to gather together and to together confess their sins before God. One of those ways actually is found in this little book, the Book of Common Prayer. It's a book that's from uh, a different Christian tradition. But brothers and sisters of Christ throughout the world, even today, use the prayer of confession that is found in this book. So I'd actually like us to join them and to join together and pray this prayer of confession. I'll say the words that are in italics, and we will all say to what, together the words that are bolded. Let us confess our sins against God and our neighbor. Take a moment, oop, hang on a sec. Take a moment in silence to open your heart to God, perhaps remembering what you thought about right at the beginning. And in silence, confess your sin before God. Now together with me. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. 
we have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us, that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. Almighty God, have mercy on you. Forgive you all your sins through our Lord Jesus Christ. Strengthen you in all goodness. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, keep you in eternal life. Amen. Isn't that great? It's a wonderful thing when we gather together in a moment like this of corporate confession and forgiveness. To name out loud together the truth that we have all sinned. To hear our collective voices affirming that truth. And to hear spoken out loud the truth that we are all forgiven by God's mercy through Jesus Christ. But you know, something is missing. That alone is not enough. And don't, don't misunderstand me. God's grace and forgiveness granted to all of us through the blood of Jesus Christ is not lacking anything. It is the work of Jesus Christ that alone is sufficient for our forgiveness. But for our experience of healing, for those barnacles to be scraped off and washed away, something else is needed. And James tells us about that in the New Testament. He writes, Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. For the deep healing that scrapes our souls clean and lifts the weight that bears down so heavily on us, it's not enough to utter the words in silence before God. We must speak them out loud to each other. Jesus is our high priest, but Peter tells us that we are a holy priesthood with each other. And Paul tells us that we are ambassadors of Christ as though Christ were making his appeal through us. I like the way Richard Foster puts it. He says, It's the ministry of making Jesus' sacrifice real in the hearts and lives of each other. I like that. It is through each other that we begin to feel the freedom that healing brings as the barnacles are scraped and washed off of us through the power of mutual confession. Dietrich Bonhoeffer writes that a person who confesses their sins in the presence of a brother or sister knows that they are no longer alone. They experience the presence of God and the reality of the other person. So the second step of confession is to ask another human being to hear our confession, to invite her or him to sit with me so that I can unburden my soul and find healing. So who do you ask? Who is worthy to hear confession? In the old system, it was a priest. Only the priest was worthy to hear confession and offer sacrifice. But now Peter says, we are a holy priesthood to each other. Bonhoeffer puts it this way. To whom shall we make confession? According to Jesus' promise, every Christian brother or sister can hear the confession of another. Every one of us. Anybody who lives beneath the cross and who has discerned in the cross of Jesus the utter wickedness of all humanity and of their own heart will find there is no sin that can ever be alien to him. Anybody who has once been horrified by the dreadfulness of their own sin that nailed Jesus to the cross will no longer be horrified by even the rankest sins of a brother or sister. The Christian brother or sister knows when I come to them, here is a sinner like myself who wants to confess and yearns for God's forgiveness. So to whom do we confess? To someone who sits beneath the cross of Jesus. Origen was a theologian who lived about 150 years after Jesus was ascended into heaven. And he wrote, look about you carefully for the person to whom you should confess your sin. Look carefully, he said. So let's take his advice. I want you to turn around and look at each other for a minute. I'm serious. Turn around. Let's just take a look at each other. Remember what Foster said? Are we a fellowship of saints 
Or are we a fellowship of sinners? I don't know about you, but I'm no saint. I want to be, but I'm not. Sometimes, well, no, a lot of times, I pretend to be, but I'm not. And to be honest, I get tired of trying to be something that I'm not. Dallas Willard, some of you may know of him, he wrote many, many books about living the Christian life. A wonderful Christian man who sadly died of cancer just last week. In his book, The Spirit of the Disciplines, he writes this, In confession, we lay down the burden of hiding and pretending, which normally takes up such a dreadful amount of human energy. We engage and are engaged by others in the most profound depths of our soul. And maybe you're not like me, but I worry way too much about what other people think. It makes it hard to be open and honest, to be vulnerable, and to be confessing. I've got barnacles I need to scrape off. How about you? In the act of confession, I admit to someone that I have asked to sit with me, to hear my need for forgiveness. And with that person, I name my sin and my burden. I name it. Well, that's step three. I tried to use all A words so that I could remember them, so I'm not how sure how well articulate works, but we'll go with it. I articulate my sin with that Christian brother or sister. A couple of years ago, I met a woman uh, who teaches at Calvin College in Michigan. She's a philosopher. Her name's Rebecca DeYoung. I also read her book. It's a great book, Glittering Vices, it's called. It's a great title. She's an expert on the topic of virtues and vices. She writes about how we have lost some of the subtle nuances in our understanding of virtue and vice. Medieval theologians wrote a lot about the big ones, the big seven. You probably heard of the seven deadly sins, the seven cardinal sins, and the corresponding seven virtues. But they also wrote about many, many more. In fact, the vices and the virtues were often depicted as trees throughout church history. On the left is the tree of vices, and on the right, the tree of virtues. And at the root of the tree of vices was seen to be pride. It was seen to be the heart of all of the other vices that they sprung up out of pride. And then each of the seven formed clusters, and then there are these sub-vices underneath that. The same for the virtues. At the core, at the very root of the tree of virtues, was humility, that all the other virtues grow up out of humility. It was in these clusters around the seven major ones that I found tremendous help. In her book, I learned new words, words that have amazing power to describe the barnacles that cling to my soul. Words like pusillanimity. There's a good word in it. Pusillanimity. It actually means smallness of soul. Thomas Aquinas wrote in the 13th century that those afflicted by this vice shrink back from all that God has called them to be. The pusillanimous struggle to see beyond their own limitations and are often preoccupied with their own potential for failure. Like Moses, who tried to convince God that God was wrong in choosing him to go talk to Pharaoh and free the Israelites, the pusillanimous are reluctant to say, Here am I, send me. Pusillanimous. That's me. I'm pusillanimous. Now, the reason I'm telling you this is not just because it feels good to get it off my chest, and it does feel a little bit good to say it out loud, but to make the point that it's important that we see that it's not just the awful things that we have done that are part of confession. Confession is also about talking about the struggles that we face that make it difficult for us to live fully into the joy of God's grace and his mercy and to experience the power of his spirit at work within us. Now, pusillanimity may not be the word for your stuff, but we all have stuff, stuff that we carry and stuff that we need to share with another follower of Jesus who sits at the foot of the cross. And what happens then, it's amazing. Sin and vice are not all that is named. Forgiveness is named. A brother or sister in Christ 
looks you in the eyes and as a holy priest in the words of Peter or as an ambassador of Christ in the words of Paul utters the words we each so long to hear. You are forgiven. The forgiveness is from God. But Paul tells us that Christ speaks those words to us through each other. And in that moment, we experience the fourth step of confession. We accept the forgiveness of God. James said, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. When we accept God's forgiveness and it is named for us by a brother or sister at the foot of the cross, those barnacles start to fall away and healing begins. And so all that is left now is to act. Step five. For some of the things that we confess, action is needed to make things right, whether it be reconciliation or restoration or restitution. What is needed is the courage and the commitment to act and to make things right. And the one who hears my confession is there to help me to do that. That's what Christian community is all about, bearing each other's burdens and in that fulfilling the law of Christ. So what is it that makes confession so important of a habit, so healing, so life-giving. Confession opens us up so that the rivers of God's grace can flow over us, cleansing and healing us. In confession, we admit our need and our sorrow before God. We ask another Christian who sits at the foot of the cross of Jesus Christ to be with us so our sorrow is shared. We name our sin with this brother or sister and before God we take responsibility. We accept the forgiveness of God that is named and God's grace washes over us and healing begins. And we commit to act in ways that make things right. That is the habit of confession. Now, before I sit down, I want to ask you to do something for me. I'd like you to, to ask you to write something down. You can take the pencil in the seat in front of you. You can write it in your bulletin or you can write it on a scrap of paper that you have. Or actually, if you've got a smartphone, this will be the only time in church that anybody ever asks you to take out your smartphone. But you can take your phone out and enter it in your phone. But I'd like you to write something down. I'd like to ask you to write the name of one person, one name, one person that you would be willing to risk confessing to. And I want you to consider making a commitment to contact that person this week and to ask them to hear your confession. Would you make that commitment? I want to close with the words of Adele Calhoun. She writes, Every time we confess how we have missed the mark of God's love and truth, we open ourselves up to the mending work of the cross. Jesus' wounds hold true, life-changing power. This is the shocking reality that confession can open up to us. Through confession and forgiveness, we live into the truth of being God's new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we love you and we long to be more like you. Please help us this week as we try to cultivate this habit of confession. Please strengthen our courage to ask, but also prepare us to receive anyone who might ask us to hear their confession. In all of this, Lord, we hope that you are pleased and that your name is glorified. Amen.